The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Beginning in Hebrews 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you just heard, we are continuing to work our way through the letter to the Hebrews. Our sermon titled this morning is going to be titled Spiritual Maturity. Spiritual Maturity. And what you're going to see, the author of this letter, the letter written to these Jewish Christians, the letter we know as the letter of Hebrews, He's going to make a contrast between spiritual maturity and spiritual immaturity. The main idea this morning is that followers of Jesus are to lay aside spiritual immaturity and press on to spiritual maturity. It's to recognize that when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we have that moment of first believing... We're born again, to use that birth language. We enter into the Christian faith as babes, as newborns, as children. But then we begin to mature. So we start off immature, and the expectation is that we will begin to mature, just much like all of us who came into this world as babies, but we're on a various stage of going from immaturity to maturity as it relates to these physical things. This physical reality of movement from immaturity to maturity, from infancy to adulthood in the physical realm is going to be the key illustration that the author is going to use as it relates to our spiritual growth. Now, what you're going to see here, and I just want to give this little caveat here this morning, I want to ask you this question. When you hear these verses here, Hebrews 5, verse 11, through Hebrews 6, verse 3, who is this for? Who are these verses for? Who are these verses for? The answer is, it's for those of us who've been running the gospel race for quite some time. I'm going to say this several times. If you are new to the Christian faith... In other words, a toddler in the Christian faith. People expect toddlers, genuine toddlers, to act like genuine toddlers. There's a measure of you will have some measure of just spiritual immaturity because you're new to the faith. What he's going to challenge, though, is for those of us who've been around the Christian faith, have made the claim to be followers of Christ, and we're not spiritual toddlers anymore, We've been around long enough, because he's going to say in verse 12, by this time, in other words, they have heard these things long enough, they know these things, they've been taught these things, there's some measure of growth that should be there, but what you're finding out is they're actually grown-up toddlers. And so the challenge that he's laying before us is for those of us who would say, yeah, I've come to faith, genuine saving faith in Christ sometime in the past. And he's going to challenge us to examine whether we are living as those who are spiritually immature or living and growing as those who are spiritually mature and maturing. 
And so my hope is today that as we consider these things that we would be honestly challenged pretty hard because I think the author wants his original audience to be challenged pretty hard because of the things that he's going to be talking about concerning Jesus and his great high priesthood, okay? So let's pray. Let's ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to just set me aside, to use me to explain these verses here before us, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us think, to help us learn, to help us to grow, to help us to even have a care to want to do those things right now, to not just check out, so that we might leave here this morning changed, okay? So let's pray, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to do this. Holy Spirit, we are asking for you to do these very things that I just mentioned. Would you come and give us eyes to see the need for the Lord Jesus Christ to give us ears to hear, to give us hearts that are willing to be truly examined by the word of God, to give us minds that understand that these things are speaking to me, not the person to my left, not the person to my right, not my brother in another city or my sister in another county somewhere away, but these words are being spoken to me right now from the word of God. God is speaking to me. So, Father, by the power of your Spirit, use me to proclaim these words in such a way that our hearts are pierced, laid open, cut to the quick. Would you give us a supernatural ability right now to sit up, listen, and pay attention, and to not let our minds be lazy or drift right now? God, give us these things for your namesake and for your glory. Give us these good gifts. It's in the name of Christ. I pray. Amen. Well, as we said, we've made our way through uh, Hebrews right now. We're up into chapter 5, and as we've made our journey through Hebrews, one thing is just flat out, flat out true. The author has been exposing us over and over and over and over again to the superior greatness of Jesus Christ, superior and great far above all things. And as he has done this, we must also admit that all this teaching about Jesus, son of God, son of man, the prophet we need, better than angels, better than Moses the apostle, better than Aaron the priest, in saying all of these things and laying them out before us, we have to admit that all this teaching about Jesus and his superior greatness has taken us out into the deeper currents of the Christian faith. We're not waiting. Hebrews is not a book designed to be waiting in the shallows. Hebrews is a book that beckons us to wade out into the deep currents of the Christian faith, to consider Jesus Christ and the weighty greatness and superiority of who he is far and above all things. This is what the author has been doing in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and up through chapter 5, verse 10. But now as we round out of verse 10 and into verse 11, we bump into a section of this letter that seems like a total detour, right? Superior Jesus, superior Jesus, superior Jesus. Hey, by the way, guys, your dole of hearing, the basic principles, milk, solid food, elementary doctrines, and he's just it just seems like a real sharp detour from all this Jesus stuff that he's been talking about. But what we need to realize is that this parenthesis, this pause in his Jesus is superior argument that takes place from chapter 5, verse 11, and runs down through chapter 6 through 20, this little tangent, this little pause, this little parenthesis, is no detour at all. It's really no detour at all. What you find in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6 through 20, is the pastoral heart of the author for the people that he is writing to, and he's going to address some of the hardest topics to address in all of Scripture. The idea of apostasy next week. This idea of spiritual immaturity this morning. And these are things that he realizes, the author of this letter realizes that I could just sort of keep trucking along with this Jesus great high priest kind of stuff, but 
like a good pastor who sees the audience of the people he's preaching to, their eyes are beginning to glaze over and roll into the back of their heads. He's like, okay, we need to stop the train before we just keep marching forward because there's a couple of other things that we need to address at a pastor to shepherd to sheep kind of talk that needs to, needs to take place right now. Like I said, chapters 5 through 10 of this book are the bread and butter of this letter where the author is going to unfold the glories of Jesus as our great high priest. But it is deep stuff, super deep stuff. There's a reason why most of us don't know this letter very well, or if we know this letter well, we don't know chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 because it is deep stuff about temples and sacrifices and blood of goats and lambs and priests and errands and a dude named Melchizedek. And it's just like, this stuff feels so lame. It feels so bad. We don't want anything to do with them. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, but you do need to know about this. And I see that your heart is lending itself toward the attitude of not caring about this. But you need to care about this. I want you to care about this. So before we keep marching forward, let's press pause and let's address this issue of spiritual laziness, spiritual immaturity. See, the author knows that this concept that lies before us of Jesus and the deep doctrines concerning him, he says there in verse 11, about this, about this, about what? About Jesus being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says there is much to say about this in verse 11. He says it is hard to explain, meaning that this truth about Jesus's Melchizedekian priesthood is a deep truth. He's recognizing it for what it is. This is a, a deep truth that lies before us. And this is a deep truth that's going to require hard thinking. But what he knows about his original audience and what he knows about us is we tend to drift towards easy, lazy thinking. You don't naturally drift toward hard thinking. You drift towards apathy, passivity, laziness. And he says, I don't want you guys to be there. He knows that his audience seems to be losing all appetite and enthusiasm for growing in such things as what he's about to talk about. And so as veteran sojourners along the gospel way, these people that he is writing to are giving signs that they are no longer pilgrims progressing along the gospel way, but they're actually pilgrims regressing. They're going backward. And so he's going to address this issue before him. Now, perhaps as I say these things, there's just this air of familiarity in describing your Christian walk this morning. When you hear the dichotomy between hard thinking, lazy thinking, spiritual immaturity, spiritual maturity, this idea of a pilgrim on the gospel way progressing, maturing more and more, or a Pilgrim regressing, going not towards adulthood, but regressing back towards infancy. These descriptions are sort of piquing your interest because this has an air of familiarity in describing your Christian walk this morning. As months of journeying with Jesus have turned into years of journeying with Jesus, which have turned into decades possibly of journeying with Jesus, what you have found is that the general trajectory of your heart is not one waxing hot towards the things of God, but actually waning cold towards the oracles of God, he says in here, waning cold towards the doctrines of Christ. You show up on a Sunday morning, you hear a preacher man like me talking about the goodness of Christ, the superiority of Christ, the greatness of Christ, and your immediate response is, yeah, 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 I, I get it, man. Okay, let's yeah, I get it. Been there, understand that, don't need it anymore. Old hat, which then justifies in your mind Ooh, I can just sort of sit here and check out. It's just another one of those sermons again this morning. And then next week, it's just another one of those sermons again this morning. Next year, just another one of those sermons this morning. And then the next thing you know, your heart has built up a recalcitrant drift of spiritual immaturity moving further and further and harder and harder away from the things of God. 
Or possibly you're like, yeah, I don't know about that, but, but, but you sit here this morning, and as we work our way through Hebrews, with each passing Sunday, the, the, the author is just, he's a one-note band. Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And each Sunday you're going, I don't know that I care, I don't know that I care, I don't know that I care. Uh, okay, I get it, I get it. Do I don't need this anymore, I don't need this anymore. And the author is saying, no, no, you, you need it every hour. And when your heart begins to think, yeah, I don't know that I need this anymore, he's going to say next week you find yourself on a dangerous path that could lead to drift in a place that you do not want to go. You might find yourself here this morning saying, yeah, this Jesus is superior stuff, this high, high priesthood stuff, this Jesus apostleship Stuff, yeah, I don't know that I care. You, you find yourself saying, man, these are the meaty matters of the faith. These are meaty matters for theologians. These are meaty matters for, for people who actually care. These are probably meaty matters for the guy who has to stand up front and preach these sorts of things. But why can't we just go back to the milky days of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and just be done with it? And it's this kind of attitude, it's this way of thinking that has the author very worried for the people he's writing to, and it's a call for us to measure our hearts of where are we at. Are we on a maturing trajectory for the meaty things of God, or are we sort of finding ourselves like the Israelites in the Exodus generation, always longing to go back to Exodus, back to where it was easy, always wanting to go back just to the milky, easy truths of just... Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me. That's a, that's a true truth. But that's not the only truth that we're just meant to be built our lives on and rest upon. We're to stand on this truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. And then begin to grow, mature, move from milk to meat, and so on. This is what the author is longing for his people. So before he moves on to the solid food of Christ's great Melchizedekian great priesthood, a truth that seems so obscure and has nothing to do with me, he's going to argue for five chapters. It has everything to do with you. You need to know these things. He says we have to hit pause on that in order to address the problem of spiritual immaturity. And that's point number one, the problem of spiritual immaturity. Chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Look at how he begins diagnosing the problem of spiritual immaturity in the lives of this original audience. Look at verse 11 in your copy of Scripture. He says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Now he's going to turn to the language of beginning to diagnose why he can't move forward and he needs to address the problem of spiritual immaturity. Because you have become dull of hearing, he says. So a spiritual malaise has settled into the hearts of his people. And if the spiritual malaise, the spiritual attitude of, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to have my Bible open. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be around Jesus' people. I don't need, I don't need, I get it. I'm good. I'm there. Why are we even talking about this? He says, if this attitude goes unchecked and begins to concretize in your heart, this is going to find you in a very, and put you in a very dangerous place. Here shortly in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6, the author is going to challenge these Christians to press on to spiritual maturity. But he's going to diagnose the problem first. And the first point of diagnosis is this. It's a failure to listen. It's just a failure to listen. You have become dull of listening, dull of hearing, he says. In other words, this phrase, what it means is it's getting at this idea of they have become spiritually lazy. You see, it's work to do the heavy lifting of hard thinking. But over time, they have become lazy to understand and content to be so. I think it's interesting in that verse where it says, since you have become. He didn't say you entered into the Christian faith and you immediately entered in as those who are spiritually lazy. You have become this, he says. So they came in hot, waxing hot towards the things of God, wanting to listen, nose in the word, showing up at church on Sunday, going to community group, in discipleship groups, talking about Jesus, opening the Bible, praying the Bible with friends. They wanted, they wanted, they needed, they needed. They were listening to God through the word. But then over time, they became slowly drifting to the place of dullness towards the things of God. 
They have become lazy. Somehow, over time, over many months, days, years, decades, they've become lazy to understand. And the problem is they're happy to be this way. They're content to be lazy concerning the spiritual things. So when the author calls them dull of hearing, the idea behind this phrase recalls the attitude of the sluggard in the book of Proverbs. When you go read the book of Proverbs, there's categories for people. There's the wise man, there's the foolish man. Oftentimes you see the sluggard. And in the book of Proverbs, a great description of the sluggard is someone who just can't be bothered with something in the moment. It's someone who just says everything is too much trouble, a perfect Case example of this is Proverbs 26, verse 15, where it says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wearies him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Physically, feeding yourself is essential for living. You must put food in mouth to live and not die. The sluggard says, I know that. I know that I need to put my hand in the dish. I know that I need to pull it out and insert food into face, but it just wearies me out. I just can't be bothered with that kind of thing. What I actually need is someone else to come around and lift my hand out of the dish and put it in because I'm just too lazy. I'm just, I'm just too, it's too wearisome to do this work of living and feeding myself so that I won't die. That's the physical sluggard. But the problem is that in a similar way, some of us are spiritual sluggards. We stick our hand in the dish, we show up at church, barely willing to pay attention, unwilling to open our scriptures so that we can put our hands into the dish of God's word and pull that out and learn the art of feeding ourselves so that we might not spiritually shrink and diminish, but so that we might spiritually mature. Spiritual sluggards are those who are wearied by the work of feeding themselves with the sustenance of God's Word. God's Word is given for us to ingest, to eat, for the sustenance and the nourishment we need for the spiritual life. But some of us are just like, yeah, I guess. We bury our hand in the dish. And we're just like, I don't know, man. That's just too much work to have to feed myself like that. And then our spiritual vitality begins to drain and wane and grow weak. What the author is saying is that this is what it means to be dull of hearing. It's not that we are unable to listen to God's word. All of you guys are sitting right here listening to God's word as it's coming out of my mouth and into your ears. You're listening to God's word. So being dull of hearing, it's not that we are unable to listen to God's word. It's that we are not bothering to listen to it. Just doing the hard work of going, okay, if that's what he just said, like, what does this mean for me? Like a small example of this would just be hearing the word of God in a sermon like this morning. But as the pastor drones on and on, you just begin to feel like this is a great time to take a nap. You feel like this is a great time to zone out. You just feel a little bit lazy. You feel like, ah, I don't know if I really need to listen today. I don't know that I need to be served the word of God in the way that it's being served today. But the question that you need to ask yourself in order to evaluate whether I am one who could potentially be drifting or am one who's in a place of spiritual immaturity, am I dull of listening is a great question to ask. Am I dull of hearing? Am I a good listener? You see, no matter how good or bad the sermon, no matter how good or bad the preacher, was I listening to God's word? Listen, I am not the best preacher in the world. I know this. I've laid some eggs up here. They've been some bad sermons. By God, it says amen from the other pastor, one of the other pastors up here, amen on that one. By God's grace, there have been some good ones, but guess what? When you stand before God and he asks you the question, what he's not going to ask is, did you really pay attention to that really good one that he, that he did that one Sunday and that one, that one day that he's going to say, good, bad, awesome sermon, subpar sermon, were you listening to my word? 
Because if the question is, the pastor is preaching God's word, are you listening to the word? Or are you dull of hearing? So you guys get it. Second problem of spiritual immaturity is this. It's a failure to remember. A failure to remember. So not only were they dull of hearing, but they were failing to remember. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, they were having to be taught the same basic principles over and over and over and over again because the truths of God were entering their ears, drifting out their minds, never taking root in their heart. It is so possible to show up on any given Sunday and hear and then right out the mind as it never sinks into the heart. So possible to do that. Possible to read your Bible that way, possible to listen to sermons that way, possible to attend community groups that way, where you are hearing, but you're not hearing. Because it never goes in, stays in, penetrates heart. And the author is saying, this is what's going on right here. And the result of their failure to remember was that instead of maturing to the point of being able to teach others the basic principles of God's word, they actually needed someone to teach them over and over and over and over again. What he's not saying is you should be like a theological academic, there you go, thank you. It's not that you need to be like some theology prof at some seminary, but the implication is that if you've been around the Christian faith long enough, there should be basic principles that you should be able to articulate to somebody. And he's going to touch on those here in a moment. When the author says, by this time, in verse 12, the implication is that these men and women have been believers long enough. So you might go like, well, that's unfair. Who is he to say that they should be able to get this by now? But the implication is that he's saying, guys, we've taught you this. You've heard this. I'm not being unfair with this. You have heard these things. You know these things. But instead of them hearing, getting it, sinking into their heart to the point where they could turn around and then replicate that out of themselves, it's just like it goes in, out, never down, and then they just keep needing to be retaught, 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 retaught. Their spiritual laziness has left them like toddlers when they ought to be teachers. And the sad reality is that the church today is filled with a lot of grown-up spiritual toddlers. Again, I asked that question at the very beginning very specifically because some of us with sensitive souls who are new to the faith, genuinely spiritual toddlers, are probably freaking out right now, like, I should know more, I should know more, I should know more. Well, yeah, like, just like your two-year-old should know more. But no one's expecting your two-year-old to act like a 32-year-old. We understand that maturity will come in time. What he's doing is he's addressing the spiritual 32-year-olds who are still living like spiritual two-year-olds. That's who he's talking to right here. This is what I mean when I say the church today is filled with a lot of grown-up spiritual toddlers. If year after year and decade upon decade you still find yourself as a spiritual toddler, someone not progressing in the knowledge of the Son of God, but instead regressing back, as it were, to the nursery of faith, the author is saying something is seriously wrong. There's a problem of spiritual immaturity in your life. For this regress reveals actually the third problem of spiritual immaturity. And that's that of being unskilled in the word. Unskilled in the word. It's the last part of verse 12 and all of verse 13. Look at it in your Bible there. End of verse 12, verse 13, he says, You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. There it is. Unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So he's driving the same point home. He just moves his illustration from the classroom now to the dining room. Again, everyone expects children to begin with milk, but no one expects them to stay or remain with the milk. The evidence of physical growth is they move from milk to solid food. It's just everyone gets this illustration. And he's saying the exact same concept applies in the spiritual realm. When a sinner is saved, they begin with the milk of God's word. 
Yet, a healthy sign that they have been truly born again is that over time they will, aman- uh, they will advance from the milky days of their spiritual infancy and grow into the meteor matters of the faith in Christ. But the picture of these believers is that they are like grown-up infants, still nursing on the bottle. They are unskilled in the word of righteousness. That is, they're just unskilled in the word of God. They've not learned how to rightly understand God's word, nor have they grown up in their knowledge of God's word, making them like grown-up children. I mean, the imagery here of a grown-up toddler, the imagery of a man-child is what he's tapping into right here. Someone who can sort of shave spiritually, but is acting like someone who needs their messy diapy changed spiritually. It's just crazy sharp imagery. A grown-up Christian, unskilled in God's word, would be, so Pastor Tom is gone. So you get to laugh at his expense, hopefully, because I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Pastor Tom. So Pastor Tom's on sabbatical. I'm expecting Pastor Tom to come back having heard from God, having just matured and grown, having, having heard clearly from the Lord a path going forward. But imagine this. Imagine if a couple weeks from now Pastor Tom shows up and he comes in and instead of talking in the language that we would assume a man of his age would use talking, imagine if he comes back going, oh, my tummy hurt. On Sunday morning, he's just walking down the aisle, oh, my tummy hurt. I need, I, need, I need mommy. And then he comes up here to the front row and goes, I need help. I've messed, messed myself. I need a diapy change. And then he lays down on the front row, kicks his feet up, grabs a bottle, puts his head in Jan's lap, and just begins a... You would look at that man and go, uh, this is not right. Like something is off. A man in his mid-60s physically is not meant to be going around talking about tummy aches and messy diapers and, and, and suckling a bottle of milk. But spiritually, there's a lot of 65-year-olds walking around spiritually talking about tummy aches and messy diapers and suckling the bottle. Now, I, I've said this several times, and I, I need to say it again. In, in saying these things... It does not, it does not mean that you have to be a Bible scholar to be a Christian. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to be a Christian. But the author is saying this, that if you are not growing in your knowledge of God through his word, if you are not, if you're not growing in your knowledge of God through his word, then you are an immature believer. You're an immature believer. And so a great question to ask yourself is this, am I a student of God's word in a way that is maturing and growing me? I'm not saying you have to go home tomorrow and start a three-hour theological systematic study of the Bible. I'm just saying, is there some way in the rhythms and ebbs and flows of your life where you can say is this, I must give, I don't want to be a spiritual sluggard. I don't want to be so lazy that I just bury my hand in the dish and I'm just, it's just too bothersome to actually lift out my hand and feed myself. I don't want to be that way physically. I don't want to be that way spiritually. So in a way that measures according to the rhythms of my life, the seasons of my life, the age of my life, the work schedule of my life, I'm going to do something so that I can be a student of God's word in such a way to where day in and day out, just like I feed myself physically day in and day out, and a year later I'm a bit more mature than I was then, and five years later I'm a bit more mature then, not because I did some big grandiose thing, because it was just the daily, habitual, rhythmic feeding of my so physically, I have matured and grown physically, I'm asking you to consider what does it look like for you to do this spiritually. Just to say, I've got to do this. Feed myself in some way, not be a spiritual sluggard, too lazy to do this, but figure out some way so that as a student of God's word, you are maturing and growing. If you are here this morning and you're like, I want that, but I am clueless about how to do that. I can line you up 20 people right now in this church who would bend over backwards to help you 
establish that. So don't leave today saying, I want it, don't know how to do it, oh well, and keep languishing in spiritual immaturity. Come and ask, and we'll point you in the right direction. If God is maturing and growing you as a student in his word, praise God. If not, then the author says the danger is that we can fall foul of the fourth problem of spiritual immaturity, which is undiscerning neglect. Verse 14, if you want a picture of what spiritual maturity looks like, it looks like verse 14. Meaty Christians, skilled in the word of God, are able to distinguish good from evil because they are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. I think a lot of the problems in evangelical Christianity today, especially in the West, in the context that we find ourselves in, you've got so many Christians who are so clueless about how to navigate the waters of the culture and the waters of ideologies and the waters of just thinking in the world today is because we're unskilled in the word of God. Because he's saying here that if you are one who is skilled in the word of God, supping on the meteor things of the oracles of God, if you're constantly training yourself to ingest the word of God, your powers of discernment mature, and then you begin to be able to wisely navigate and distinguish the difference between good and evil. So many people fail to be able to discern and distinguish the difference between good and evil in the world today is because this thing lies on a shelf somewhere collecting dust and they're not ingesting it. They're spiritually immature. I don't expect a spiritually, a physically immature person to show up and do the heavy lifting of an Olympic, Olympic race. But for some reason, a lot of us feel like, I think spiritually, that we'll just drift into that place. Or let me put it this way. The people who do show up at the Olympic race ready to run, they didn't show up there because they neglected the constant practice of their sport. They got there because they trained and trained and practiced and practiced. And that's why they're able to do the hard thing, run the final heat of the 100 meters in the, Olympic, in the Olympics. The idea of why I went into the word gym is because of that training, is because of the idea behind that word train there in verse 14. Look at your copy of scripture there. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. In the original language, is the word gymnazo, which gives us the word gymnasium. He's saying this requires work. That Olympic runner, he got there because of hard work and hard sweat. She got there because she put in the miles, she put in the time. They train. They practice. That's why they're able to distinguish and discern. So like an athlete who trains in the gym by constantly practicing their sport, so the maturing Christian does similarly. They train their heart they train their mind by the constant practice of studying God's word so they can discern and distinguish good from evil in matters of teaching, morals, behavior, or anything else. So for those who are spiritually mature, their powers of discernment are trained by constant practicing God's word. But for those who are spiritually immature, their powers of discernment are stagnant by constant neglect of God's word. And when undiscerning neglect settles into your life, you can know you have become a spiritually immature Christian. Therefore, says the author, chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, says the author, let us heed the challenge to press on to spiritual maturity. If you ask yourself this question, am I maturing as a Christian? Am I moving forward as a believer? Am I making spiritual progress or not? And the honest answer is this, I am not. I'm asking you just to be honest with yourself. You serve nobody. You don't serve yourself by lying to yourself right now in this moment. If those four diagnoses of spiritual immaturity ring true in any measure, one or, or all the above, be honest with yourself. And if you can honestly say, I am not, I want to encourage you by saying, you don't have to lose hope by admitting that you're not maturing as you ought. And that's because we have the wonderful promise of God's willingness to mature us by the power of the Spirit in us. Look at verse 1 and 3. 
Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation, verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. And what's this? The this is this going on to maturity. As God wills, as God works in us, it is possible to do this very thing, to obey this command to go on to maturity. The foundation of the doctrine of Christ has been laid in the lives of these believers. They don't need another foundation laid in their life. They instead need to build upon that foundation. That's what he's saying. So in the world of building construction, no contractor worth their salt shows up, does the hard work of building, digging out a hole, laying the foundation, pouring the concrete, and steps back and goes, voila, a completely finished building. No, no building, building contractor does that. You've just begun. You've done the important thing. You've laid the foundation, but now we are to build on top of that foundation. We are to move forward into maturity, move forward into building and completing this thing that is supposed to be built upon the foundation. The author is just now into the realm of building and constructing, and he says it's just the same for us spiritually. With the foundation of the doctrine of Christ laid, we're to build on that foundation. We're to go on to maturity. But here's what you need to know, and I think this is important for you to hear. The idea behind that word go on, when he says go on to maturity, the idea behind that word is that we're being carried along in our progress, much like a ship on the water is being carried along by a wind. Is that ship going forward in the water? Yes. Is that sail ship going forward in the water carried along by its own power? No. The wind is filling the sails, enabling the ship to go forward, but the sailors on the ship need to do the necessary work to rig and mast and set the sails so the sails can be caught full of wind and go. Similar kind of idea that is being conveyed by the author here. The implication is that our ability to go on to maturity in the Christian life, listen, our ability to go on to maturity in the Christian life is not that we do so in our own strength, but as we depend upon the Holy Spirit who grows us. So to avoid the extremes, if you're reading this going, okay, spiritually mature, I see some echoes of that in my own heart. You read verse 1, leave the elementary doctrines behind, build upon those, go on to maturity. So you say, I'm going to bootstrap this thing, I'm going to go out this door, and in my own strength, in my own powers, in my own abilities, I will go on to maturity. I'm telling you, you're going to scorch and burn out tomorrow, tomorrow evening in your own strength. Some of us go then, well, I'm not going to be that person. So the pendulum swings all the way to the other side where you just sit there and you sort of like do what most people do in spiritual laziness is they kick up their feet on the spiritual recliners of their lives, throw their hands behind their head and say, well, Pastor John said I only go on to maturity by the power of the Holy Spirit working within me. So Holy Spirit, do what you need to do as we just sit there and binge on Netflix. Over and over, an hour, an hour, an internet, internet, app after app after app after app after app, or scroll, 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 year, month, week, decade, and go, well, I've been praying for him to mature me. How come he's not doing it? So because that's not what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are saying these two extremes are to meld in one. Get up tomorrow morning and say a foundation has been laid in my life by those who have gone before me. The basic principles of the doctrines of Christ have been established in my heart. This is the foundation that I'm going to stand upon. So what am I going to do to feed myself? And then as you're feeding yourself, you begin to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to give me the strength to even want to care to feed myself. I need you to give me the strength to even want to grow. I need you to give me the strength to even understand these things. It's that both-and reality. So that then, what we can say is that the Holy Spirit grows us as we lay the foundation of where the Christian life begins. Where does the Christian life begin? Verse 2. It begins with repentance from dead works and the faith toward God. The Holy Spirit grows us as we lay the foundation of where the Christian life ends. Where is the Christian life going to end? It's going to end in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Verse 3, and the Spirit grows us as we lay the foundation of the Christian life in between the beginning and the end with the instruction about washings, that is baptism and the laying on of hands, life in the corporate church. So how can we apply all this? 
These are examples of the elementary doctrines, the basic principles, the foundation, he says, that these Christians should have known. So for some, it's recognizing that you are where you are in your Christian journey because you've laid the foundation, but you've never built upon it. So if someone were to come and ask you about repentance, faith towards God, resurrection, the eternal judgment to come, life in the corporate body of believers, baptism, the laying on of hands, if someone were to ask you about these things, you would have a general knowledge of these things, but what you would have to admit is, I don't know anything else beyond that. And that means what you've done is you've laid the foundation, but you've never built upon it. You see, the person who knows and understands only this much, the author is saying, is still a spiritual baby living on milk. They are languishing in spiritual immaturity as a grown-up toddler because you're content to know the fundamentals and nothing else. Or perhaps, as you just heard me say this, you're over here going, uh, like, I don't even know the fundamentals. Like, if someone were to ask me to turn around and teach and explain repentance from sin and faith towards God and the sharing of the gospel, I could not do that. If someone were to ask me about the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment to come for those who die and are judged standing before God, like, I could not do that. When it comes to life in the local church, about the need to be baptized in the obedience of, um, to leaders who have had their hands, have had hands laid on top of them, like I would not be able to explain any of these things. And so it's beginning to dawn on you that the reason why you feel stuck and the reason why you feel mired down in your Christian journey is because you don't even have the foundation laid down in your life. If these things that the author has just mentioned here in verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews chapter 6 are the foundational principles of the faith, then you have to honestly say you don't even have a grasp of the fundamentals. Listen, the immature believer is the one who merely understands just enough to grasp the basic principles of God's word. But the maturing believer is the one who not only has a firm grasp of these things, but is also a student of God's word, constantly practicing the ingestion of the word, regularly eating the solid food of scripture. So what should our response to all this be? It should be to look at ourselves in the mirror of scripture and measure ourselves against its standard. The way to discover whether you are a pilgrim progressing or a pilgrim regressing is to ask whether you have a growing understanding of God's word. Do you have a growing understanding of God's word? And then to ask the question, how am I doing at that? Am I standing still or am I moving forward? Remaining a child or growing up? Staying with milk or digesting meat? I want you to remember this. I've got two more sentences to say, and I, want, I need you to hear this. Please hear this. This kind of sermon can come across as very heavy-handed. Get out there and read your Bible some more. Stop being immature. Usually people like me get all veiny-necked and red-faced, ah, gripping the pulpit, screaming at people to go, to go and do these things. That is not the pastoral attitude of the author. And that's not the pastoral spirit and attitude of your pastor right now. I so long for us to be men and women who ingest the word, self-feeders on the word. So that as we go out these doors into the next six days and 22 hours, we go out as men and women fueled by the Holy Spirit empowered by his strength in us to feed and ingest the word, building on the foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
saying, I'm rooted on this foundation of Christ. I'm rooted on the foundation of the gospel. He is my place. He is my strength. He is my source. He is where I stand. And so by his power in me, I'm going to go on to maturity so that as I begin to navigate this world, I will stand out as a witness for him in ways to where it just blows and boggles my mind because people will get to see a genuine witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Not because I'm so great, but because of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in and through me. That is why I'm asking us to consider the hard questions of, am I spiritually immature or am I on a Holy Spirit-filled trajectory of maturity totally by God's grace so that I can just stand back and watch and look and go, man, like I'm growing and I'm maturing and it's not because I have a high IQ or it's not because I'm some professor in a seminary teaching theology. It's because I'm just an average everyday Joe, an average everyday Sue. I just get up. I feed myself the word. I'm so dependent on God. I'm so dependent on the spirit. I'm so dependent on him working and using me so that as I go to Jeffrey Allen's or as I go to Wells Fargo, or as I get up and have to take care of my children this morning or whatever it might be, I want people to see Christ in me. But the problem is there will be a lack of of, of opportunity to see Christ in you if you're never supping on Christ. I want us to eat Christ. Ingest him. So that people see Christ in us. And then come when the moment comes to be able to say, I can teach you about repentance from sin. I can teach you, show you in my Bible what it means to believe and have faith in God for salvation. To be able to help you understand there is going to be a resurrection from the dead. There is a coming eternal judgment. I would need you, I want you to know this. But the problem is how can we say these things if we don't even know them ourselves? We can't teach what we don't know. And so the pastoral heart of me and any of the other elders is not get it, read it, and just become some legalistic another thing to do. It's, man, I'm begging God in my life and in your life to fan into flame a gospel grace-fueled desire to ingest and eat the word of God. Because as we're going to see next week, if we hear stuff like what I just said and we're just sort of like, I just still don't know that I really care about all that. It's a dangerous red flag, a dangerous indicator that there might be something far worse going on in your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you pretty badly. Lord Jesus, we need you very badly. Need you every hour. God, help us in these things. I have no ability whatsoever for us to just make us get it. That's why we are so dependent upon you, Holy Spirit. So would you please do only what you can do? Would you please do what you love to do, which is to help us get these things? Help us to honestly evaluate for your name's sake and for your glory. Help us to walk out of here into the next six days and 22 hours as men and women who will, we're going to fail, we're not going to be perfect in these things, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, begin to move in a way where we're on the trajectory from immaturity to maturity. God, we're just asking you to do this for your glory, for your name's sake, in and among your people. Where I've misspoken, Lord, or have spoken too harshly, Father, would you, would you work in our hearts and minds in these things? Where I've spoken truly and clearly, Holy Spirit, would you plant those seeds deep in our hearts and change us for your glory. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.